0: Welcome to New Jersey.
1: You know, people are always
0: putting New Jersey down. None of my
2: friends can actually believe I live here, but that's just because they don't get it. I'm living in a state of irony.
0: And I know that they make fun of New Jersey all the time well, I don't care Because they're just snobs. Because Jersey's where America's
2: at
0: I love New Jersey
2: You love New Jersey
0: New Jersey, huh? You
3: know,
4: you can go to Jersey or the hell, but count me out
2: I'm from New Jersey and I want to see New Jersey's greatest rock
3: band Can everybody hear us, first of all?
0: Hello.
2: Hello Should Hello. I
3: introduce Steve? Sure What about that? Here's Steve with your
2: announcements. Great introduction. Thank you. I bring the same level of enthusiasm to nine people as I would 90. Let's do this. (laughs) Hey, keep it down out there. (laughs) Can't hear you over Steve. Good evening and welcome to a night of wacky hijinks with David Schwartzman and Chris Sackis. We are in the presence of giants tonight. Adrenaline O.D. is in the house and at least one of them has a reason to be. (laughs) David Schwartzman has written a book and we are all here to buy it from him. Let's take just a moment to describe his greatness. David Scott Schwartzman took his first stage dive into punk at the age of fourteen, managing the New Jersey hardcore band, the East Patterson Boys Choir. One yeah, one year later, he made the move from management to production by starting alongside his friend Paul Richard. Yay! The band that would become Adrenaline OD. Adrenaline OD played it faster than Minor Threat and funnier than The Dead Milkman. They brought Jersey Charm to VFWs and living rooms across this great country of ours and launched New Jersey's first punk-run independent record label. Dave was also a regular columnist for Maximum Rock and Roll. Is Tim nice?
4: He's very nice. He's dead now, now, but he was nice. He was nice. Until he
2: died. (laughs) (laughs) He sucks now.
3: (laughs) Then he became an
2: asshole. Uh, Along along with AOD guitarist Bruce Wingate, he co-founded and co-hosted the punk comedy podcast This Show Sucks with Bruce and Dave. Dave and Bruce, give me top billing. billing. His conversation partner this evening is Chris Sackis, formerly of Cobra and the Nihilistics. Chris was a DJ at WFMU Jersey City in the house, co-hosting the Nightmare Lounge alongside Kaz. He created the long-running Colin show, Aerial View, and is the longest-running MC of Coney Island's Mermaid Parade. He has been a serious XM DJ, but you know him as Detective Jack Boyle from I Was a Teenage Mummy. Wow. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's open this pit up for David Schwartzman and Chris Sackis.
3: Wow. That was, I mean, I was not prepared for that intro. That, that was is pretty, pretty, pro. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's probably more than we'll actually talk. <laughs> It's probably longer than relaxation. My speaking. hairs
4: are standing up on my arms, right
3: Are you now. impressed by yourself at this point? No, Dave? I never get impressed. By you myself? never get impressed.
4: No, I just look in the mirror, I'm depressed.
3: You seem like the guy who was most glad to have been in AOD though. Is that is that accurate to say? I mean, are you did you love being
4: in AOD? It was a good time for me to be in AOD because I mean, I was a kid. So going out on the road and doing all these things without any parents or chaperones and just my friends and yeah you know there was complete freedom and it was fun as hell and it was I mean yeah. what what what's better than I mean kids dream about you know getting away from their parents in school I got to do it and see the whole country.
3: Were your parents the kind that like supervised you when you were around or were they the kind that trusted you to like be be on your best behavior when they Weren't around.
4: Well, my dad worked a lot. um he worked um,
3: he, not far he, from here, right? was right. on and, Newark, and, Avenue.
4: Yeah, Newark Avenue at Palace Drugs in Jersey City. And he worked there most all my life. And he would um get up early, you know, before you know, or, or around the time that we were first getting up for school. And then he'd be gone till like ten o'clock at night. And we'd only see him on like you know Sundays, and he would come home early on Thursdays and. Thursday night would be like our Chinese food night so you know we all get to hang and Sunday we would like get to do something go to a you know a flea market or a movie or or something like that but for the most part my mom pretty much ran the show um, now as far as her being lenient and trusting me, she was very, very naive.
3: (laughs) Very, very naive. However... If you've read the book, by the way, the things that you got up to.
4: Yes, yes. And it's funny because when I gave my mom a copy of the book when I was up here last time, uh, I I had gone out and come back into her condo and she's reading the book and she's got her hand over her head. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, she must be getting some good stuff. And I looked, and she was only on, like, page six. And I was
3: like, wow, if you got your hand on your head now, you got some problems later on coming. But, uh, uh, a couple of things. What compelled you to set the history down? And were there other names in particular that you guys were kicking around before you settled on adrenaline overdose? So I'm always curious, like, what were the names that didn't, quite fly, that the band rejected.
4: If memory served me correct, it was always Adrenaline OD, wasn't it? We never had any other, Paul um, came up with that name. He had read, was Boston Rocker? They were making fun of punk rock and
1: kids ODing on Adrenaline and just twisting that around.
4: And he came up with Adrenaline OD, and to be honest with you, at the time I had no idea what Adrenaline even meant. And um, then we spelled it differently because we took the E off it. From the actual adrenaline, but uh it turned out to be a great name because most people refer to us as a o d anyway,
3: yeah, it shortens nicely yeah, it, does it was kind nicely. of a stroke of genius. we right? fell
4: right into that initial band phase. because
3: I came up with the name nihilistics, and there's no way to shorten that right It's got a lot of eyes in it, and the nihilistics you know were from long island forty five miles due east of Manhattan, right you guys were from New Jersey, and neither of us got any respect when we landed in Manhattan in 1981 and started playing out, right? We we were both looked at as, like, what, what? How would you describe, the you know, the greetings that you would get when people found out the band was from New Jersey?
4: I, I would say that back then it was kind of like high school, and even, like, in the early stages of hardcore, there were different cliques, you know? There was the tough guy clique, there was the, you know... The nerdy guy click, you know, like Jack Rabbit and, you know, people like that. And uh, we all kind of got along. I mean, it wasn't like anybody really bumped heads too much. Uh, but as far as a band go, we did get like a lot of shit in the beginning. Um, even Jimmy from Murphy's Law had. Jimmy Gestapo? Yes, had. Um, was taunting Jim Foster at a, one of our first CBGB shows and Jim jumped off the stage grabbed by the collar and Jim's like 6'2 and Jimmy was still a kid back then. I don't think he expected that.
3: And that was the last time Jimmy
4: ever taunted AOD. Yeah,
3: But you were in a band that was known especially for, like, throwing punches. I mean, the thing about AOD, when I knew that you guys were going to be on the same bill as the nihilistics, I would perk up because I'd be like, we're going to have a good time. It's right. going to be fun, right? So you guys were known as, like, taking more of a lighthearted approach. The nihilistics, nobody ever called us oh, yeah. lighthearted, yeah. right? But we couldn't
4: be more polar opposites as far as the traje- trajectory of our or thematic musical experiences. Yes. I mean, we were on absolutely opposite sides <laughs> of that spectrum, but we were very good friends. It is such a weird thing that you know people would never think that AOD and the Nihilistics would you know get along. We. Me and Paul loved the fucking nihilistics (laughs) back then. We played that EP, like, so much. I mean, it was constant.
3: Well, thank you. And we loved AOD because, again, like most bands that you played with, there was this implicit rivalry going on. Like, they wanted to best you. They wanted to be seen as better than you. They wanted to destroy you on stage. AOD never seemed to really take that approach. You
4: know why? It's because we had no aspirations at all I mean, none. We, we set no goals. We just wanted yes, to have fun. New we, we didn't care. If it I mean, if we got a show, we were happy to be playing. We we didn't take it seriously. We never took it seriously. We even said that the day that this becomes like a drag and it becomes like a business, we're just going to we're just going to end it.
3: Well, it's 42 years later. I mean, <laughs> did you think people would still be interested never. in I, adrenaline OD at this point?
4: I never would have, not in a million years, but who would have expected, like, the internet to come along? So now somebody in, like, you know, Turkey wants an AOD record. It's weird. I mean, the whole world is just kind of, you know, it's shrunk. I mean, there's there's people that I get mail from, like, in South Korea and Australia, and it's like, how do you even know us? Like, how did the records even get there, you know? I mean, I think about, like, our first EP, Let's Barbecue. What did we make of those, Paul, like, 1,200 or something, the first pressing or something like that? Six, yeah, a thousand. It seemed like so many records. At this
3: point, we should give Paul that extra microphone. He's going to be commenting a lot. It's something tells me. Yeah, there you yeah. Go.
4: It, it seemed like in a crazy amount of records. Like, what are we going to do with all these records? So we would have fun. We throw them at trees like frisbees and break them. We we had like always an ashtray in our van made out of one of our records that was warped into an ashtray. We have to absolutely no respect for our own records. Well, but I, we never would have thought someday anybody would care.
3: About five years ago, um, I sold the heart attack of 45, uh, God is Dead, well, for almost $1,000, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they printed up 200 of them. I still regret it because now it might be worth $2,000. I was going to say, I've seen it
4: go for a lot more, actually.
3: Uh, Yeah, and it was handed to me by Jesse Malin himself. Like, here, here's right. If I had known, I would have said, Jesse, give me another nine of those. Let me have 10 of those. Uh, because when we were printing up records, it was PRI in danch and you had to get a minimum of 200 records pressed. Do you remember, like, when AOD was finding a record-pressing plant? Like, what did they tell you the minimum that was? That was
4: Paul that handled all that. End
3: of Paul, it. take a microphone <laughs> already, because really, um, yeah, up, I want this on tape. This is uh, all going to be recorded for posterity. Uh, Just... I, don't know, I don't know if
4: there was uh, any. There you go.
3: There you go. <laughs> Paul's going to. There we go. Don't sit too close to the Ladies kid, and gentlemen, Special squirrel. appearance by Paul Richard to yeah, yeah, yeah. let's, hear, let's hear it. He's going he's gonna to join us. Excellent. It's going to be you're going to get an assist here. How's that?
1: <laughs> I, I figured out how
3: to we had nobody
1: to look to to say like hey yeah this is how you make a record so I just had to track down found a pressing plant um, we figured out you know you have to oh first you have to get your record mastered then you have to get
4: yeah, there was no blueprint. I mean, no bands wow. that we knew. The only band that was local that had put out records was the Misfits. And I think that's probably why we went to Mixolydian, because they, they, yeah. they did the Misfits. So, you know, we were just kind of running on instinct a lot of the times, and, and things would fall into place. And uh, sometimes, you know, as we go along, more and more bands were putting out records. It, it got a little bit easier. There was more of a, um, a distribution network. Later on, that made it easier to get the records out, but yeah i i I, I wouldn 't even have any idea how to have gone about getting them pressed or anything like that. Paul was older than I was, so
3: <laughs> oh okay we 're talking about if it 's Tuesday, this must be walla Walla, the wacky history of adrenaline o d out on D Wolf Publishing. Books are here available for purchase tonight it 's good that somebody codified the history of the band because One thing I've always said about the Nihilistics, if we had gotten in a van and tried to go anywhere, we would have murdered each other. (laughs) We made it as far as Massachusetts, and that was about it. But you guys managed to crisscross the country several times. Uh, Three altogether, I believe. That's kind of amazing to me. How did you do it? I mean, what was the... Was there a plan, or did you just pile in the van with your gear and take off?
4: Uh, The first tour we did... um, was called the Invite Ourselves Tour, and we did the entire tour in Paul's
3: car. What was what car did you have back then?
4: It was a uh, a, a Ford, Granada? Granada.
3: Ford Granada. Right. Also yeah. known as the Mercury Monarch, if you could pay a little more money, <laughs> right? So, and, and it broke down, I mean, right? It was a piece oh, of crap, right? You know, was, we, uh, oh, yeah.
1: when, when we got back, it fell apart. Like completely <laughs> <right>.
4: <laughs> yeah, we put but so it much mileage it, on That, that, that.
1: was uh, seven weeks.
3: So, we so this is a tour where you're using... Fire. This is a tour where you're using other people's uh, amps, correct? And we brought, drums. I and... brought
4: drumsticks and a and a pedal, and I think a snare drum. Um, Paul and Bruce brought guitars and and uh, chords. That was it. And that was it. We we made sure that the opening bands had equipment for us that we could use, and they get on the show, and uh, it worked out pretty good for you know for being DIY. That was as DIY as That's you could possibly DIY. get. We were fixing the car with duct tape,
3: literally. As it would, like you know, things would break on it. I love that you've got a lot of pictures in the book, by the way. People did take pictures; you could see them. But mention some of the bands that actually uh, opened for you, or played with you, or were on the same bill with you. Oh, while Paul gets his wine. So many.
4: Um, we've played like on tour. We've been, we had played a lot with. whoops, Battalion of Saints, and Cause for Alarm, and the Rhythm Pigs. And uh, seven seconds. We seven, tried to get on
1: yeah. the, get when we were setting up the shows to get the big band from each town to play on the bill, which usually worked out. Yeah, pretty good. Like seven seconds, we got to see and play with.
4: We played the Fourth of July uh, with Seven Seconds, and that was a great show. It was like a VFW hall, yeah. and the summer was packed. It was an amazing show. I I th- Poison Poison was idea. A, idea. It's another
3: Poison another idea was great. Yeah. VFW shows, by the way, are the best. I'm just going to endorse playing at the VFW. It's always the best, right? Hire a PA, play at the VFW. Um, Were you guys, you know, did everybody get along in the band? Because, I mean, the thing about AOD that always struck me is you were good at busting onions heckling from the stage of the audience but but also giving each other a lot of grief oh we were self-deprecating self-deprecating that's 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 the phrase i was thinking of so did did everybody get along or were there thoughts of like i'm trapped in a Ford granada with a couple of people that i can't stand
4: um there was maybe like one or two days where somebody would be in a bad mood There was a canned meat incident (laughs) that I recall with Bruce. (laughs) But um, aside from that, no, we were just really just having a great time. I mean, you know, it's like we were all really into punk
3: and hardcore and being able to go out on the road and not only play. What was your a, baptismal moment, by the way? Because mine was going from Queens and Night at the Opera to Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols. That was the record that took Night at the Opera off the turntable for me. So what was the transition point for uh, you? For, into punk rock? Yeah. Uh,
4: the Dam's Machine Gun Etiquette.
3: Oh, that's a good one.
4: Um, that was the first record I bought with my own money and... First that, punk rock record? Or yes, yeah. I, I had my sister was sending me like Clash records and and bands from Miami where she used to live, but that was the first record I actually saved up money and bought, and I remember playing that and it felt like my itch just got scratched. You know, it's like I had been listening to Kiss and Van Halen and then you know slowly getting into the punk rock stuff, but the speed and the songwriting and and Vanian's voice, it was like yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember a kid in our school, in high school, he had a Sex Pistols button. It was like the cover of Nevermind the Bollocks, and I thought, what the hell is the Sex Pistols? And then they played in San Francisco. It was covered on the news, and I had to go out and get the record, and I thought, sorry, Queen. I mean, I, I love Night at the Opera. I love it now, but I was like, sorry, Queen. This is what I want to listen to now. Paul, what was it for you? What was the, the breakthrough <laughs>
1: Uh, it was, I think it was the dead boys, you know, on weekends, if you held the antenna a certain way on your radio, you could pick up like strange college radio stations. <laughs> and if you held it a certain way and hearing the dead boys was just like,
3: by the way, thanks Dave for mentioning Pat Duncan on WFMU, Tim Summer on noise, the show, and then later Hal on Oi, the show, if you remember Hal. Uh, who played these records before anybody else did, right? I mean, the only way we got airplay was those folks playing the records. It was
4: very, very ahead of its time to like for Pat Duncan and Tim to play band demos on a radio station. Cassettes. You would mail them a cassette. That's, That's how we got on New York Thrash. We gave them the only cassette we had was just a rehearsal cassette that was, it was, you know, it, it was almost like a boombox recording, to be honest with you. I mean, we didn't go in a studio and do that. We just re- recorded one of our rehearsals, and that's what they used on New York Thrash. I mean, our our budget for that night, for that recording session, was probably like $10 for the studio that we rehearsed in, and that was it.
3: Well, now that we've entered the realm of money, uh, what do you think you ever earned from the history of AOD? Like, because a lot less than we put into it. <laughs> right? Because it's usually a, there's a negative sign, right? I mean, I know that I probably spent more being in the nihilistics than the nihilistics yeah. ever generated. So it's not a way to get rich, kids. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, punk rock and hardcore, not a way to get. Got
4: to do it because you like it, you know.
3: Yeah, and you. When did you decide that drums was your thing, though? When did you decide I like playing the drums? Who was the drummer? Was it Bunny Rich or one of these guys? Bunny, Carlos. These, uh, yeah, Bunny but, Carlos. Bunny Carlos. Or cheap trick? Yeah, yeah.
4: There's a story in the book about um, when I was a kid, my mom had bought me a button making machine, and I went to the Capitol Theater with Cheap Trick buttons. In Passaic? Yes. To sell them and try to make some money. And I was there like 15 minutes, and one of the roadies sees me, and he makes me come with him. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. And he brings me into the Capitol Theater and right into the dressing room up to Rick Nielsen. And Rick Nielsen looks at my board of buttons and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get sued.
3: <laughs>
4: and he takes one of the buttons that has his image on it and he puts it on his guitar strap and he's like, you got a ticket for the show? And I'm like, no, I, I got to be home before dark, so no. And he's like, well, we're about to do sound check. You want to watch it? You got to sit right there. And he put me right next to Bunny Carlos, like right to the side of him. And I just sat there and I was like, I want to do that. He made it look so easy, and he was so good.
3: Were you into any musical instrument at that point? Were you playing I, a... Because you know, it's, it's... mine first was the trombone. I just want to say I wisely switched from trombone to guitar. Did you start out on something that wasn't drums? Trombone. Trombone! Yes, yes. Oh, my God, Paul. Trombone? Did you start on trombone? <laughs> Sorry, from the
4: start. I'm going to freak out. All right. The, you... the reason why is I wanted to play the drums, but all the snare drum drummers were taken. So the only thing open was trombone. I had braces at the time and these big Jewish lips, man. These did not work well in a trombone. Oh, and nobody my lips I mean it's so cut up from the braces. I would
3: get such a lip pain from trying to play the trombone Plus and I was like the trombone
4: is so freaking loud, man. It is so loud. My God bless my mom for having to be in an apartment while I'm trying to practice playing trombone. Not a good
3: thing. Was your mom or your parents those kind of parents who would come to the show? Because I was always amazed, because I couldn't imagine my mother or father ever coming to a gig.
4: I found out later that my dad and my brother did show up at the Clifton High School show. <laughs> and were in the back, and, and I didn't know it. So, I you know, I never really talked to them, and you know, my brother doesn't really remember too much about it, but... Uh,
3: now, your dad was a pharmacist, right over here. Uh, no, he
4: worked at. He was uh, the the sales guy. At sales the guy
3: at the pharmacy. Yeah. Paul's dad was a fireman. That's correct. Bruce's dad was a policeman. Correct. Jim's dad? What did he do? Don't know. I Jim. No idea. Yeah, no. Jim, Jim never talked about it. Con oh. man. I'm going to say con <laughs> man. Uh, Jack's dad drank, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, and who am I leaving out? Uh, Anybody? I think that's everybody. Keith
4: and Wayne, I have no so, idea. About so
3: Keith and Keith, Keith's dad, Keith Hartel, who joined later, uh, was a musician. But uh, basically, blue collar roots for all of you guys, yes, right? Definitely. Was there any encouragement uh, to go into a music career? Or were they did they think you were all crazy to um, want to play music for for a living? Well,
4: we never wanted to play music for a living. We just did what we did and it went where it went we yeah. never really planned it or thought about it like that. I always
3: <laughs> said it was a phase I was going through. <laughs> that you're still going through, that <laughs> Paul's still later. still going through. Uh well, yeah, but uh, I I know Jack was the one who like couldn't tour because he, he he was had kids and he had had to work and he had to have a job, but Did the rest of you ever think at one point this is going to turn into something weak, especially when you started to become more of a, you know, power punk sort of band in the mode of what Green Day eventually became, for instance, who were people that sat in the audience of your shows, by the way, was was there a moment when you thought this could be a thing? It's weird
4: with us because the better we got, the better the songs got, the more we lost our core audience. So, you know, we never saw it as like we're we're gonna make more money off this. We were making less, you know, because we're we're peeling off our all the hardcore kids.
3: They uh, they thought you were sort of leaving them listen, behind somehow. Well, if if
4: I had a dollar for everybody on like that. Ishtar tour that screamed "Play faster." <laughs> I love that They're record, by retire. the way. I,
3: I love that record. I mean, I, I think it's a fantastic record, and and I think it holds up, you know. But it's, yeah, it's,
4: it's a it's a good record. It, it's just it. not what people would expect from you know a thrash band.
3: Yeah. So is, is that a trap? Is that a box that that, that you think they that you were put in by the audience? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was we, a trap that the audience put them. <laughs>
4: But I would say that we always moved that box. We, I mean, we tried to take the piss out of all the rules, you know. Yeah. I mean, Bruce would play CBGBs in his freaking underwear, you know.
3: <laughs> Long before the Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah, yeah. I would imagine too. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I got to see the shows at Bowery Electric. I didn't. I didn't make it to Dingbats and Clifton, unfortunately. Was, oh, it was brilliant. Were there young kids there still? Because I saw young kids at Bowery Electric. There are still kids coming into the quote-unquote scene, which I'm amazed is still around. But do you think the music is timeless now? Hardcore is here to stay? Um,
4: Definitely, because, listen, all it takes is like a band of no FX's size to say we were influenced by AOD, and then all these kids are checking out in, into AOD. Doesn't take a lot. I mean, when the guy from Dark Throne, Fenris, um, made that YouTube video of—have you seen that? No. Where oh, he, it's the singer of Dark Throne, the uh, legendary Norwegian death metal band, and he's being interviewed for German TV, and he's playing the guy Rock and Roll Gas Station, and he's he's um, lip syncing along with it. And he's like, it's very funny, and the video went viral because he is pretty influential to people. Now. That video has got more hits than any AOD video if you've ever combined them. And then we started selling to all these metal people out of the blue. Like, all these death metal people were buying our
3: stuff. And Kim Kardashian shows up the other day in an agnostic front shirt that somebody gave her. So get her an Adrenaline OD shirt. That's... That would be good. Um, that's that's wild. So, I mean, it's like the – and you're in the, uh, in the Punk Rock Museum, right, in Las Vegas. That so you, is correct. You yeah. guys have a tour diary in there and some we, other material? Um, the,
4: uh, Jack's, um, Long John's from the Humongous cover that has a smile face on it are in there. Um, one of our early T-shirts. You yeah, have the tour diaries in there, some flyers and some records. Yeah.
3: You're legit. You're, when do you get voted into like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
4: Jim's and, been trying to get us into the New Jersey one for years now. The New Jersey Hall him. of
3: Fame? I think it's slurring right he, he around He tries the corner. every time. Uh, Jim Testa's in the audience, by the way, who wrote a nice article uh, recently about your book. Clearly um, well, no one could read. <laughs> which is, It's behind a paywall. But he'll send it to you if you ask him real nice. Give me your email address. Um but in terms of the book, what was the biggest challenge for you? Because you, I, I think you said you had access to, what was it, 85 and 86? You guys kept a tour diary and you uh, were able to? 84 and 85. 84 and 85. So you had tour diaries. You were also, you've always been a collector of flyers. So you had a lot of the band's flyers. Yeah. So what was the biggest thing to get this ball rolling when you decided to sit down and, and write this book?
4: What made it. Doable in the first place was a fan-run website called Metallic Promo. And this guy meticulously, he'll get into a band, whatever band it is, and for this one it was AOD, and he'll get his hands on every flyer and print ed, and he'll figure out from start to finish every show we've ever played. And he listed it in chronological order. And it made writing this book in a historical chronological order possible. Because I've got every show from, you know, as much as I remember too, you know, and then it was just a matter of like, what do I remember about this? Well, there didn't much, did, not much happened here, but, you know, at this show, like, Youth of Today got into a fight with their entire audience. I should write about that.
3: <laughs> and you checked with all the other band members to see if the facts were I, accurate?
4: I talked individually with all of them, yeah. I came up to New Jersey and spent some time with Paul and Jack, and we just, we just talked and went over history. I had some questions and some things I wanted to fill in, you know. Paul,
3: did anything strike you as, like, that's not accurate? It's not the way I remember it? Get closer to the mic when you answer, by the way.
1: It's all dirty lies. <laughs> it's, it's, well, no, there's, lies, there's, dirty lies. No, it, it's, it's very accurate.
3: Is Dave the only person that could have written this book, by the way, the history of the band? I mean, would anybody else have tried to?
1: Um, I, I wouldn't have had it in me to do
4: that, no.
3: Yeah. Thank you,
4: Dave. And for I, doing I don't think it. anybody else was. Um sober enough to remember a lot of this stuff you know i mean it was you know these guys were cutting
3: loose they were partying all the time you were living like there was no tomorrow weren't you uh by the way the book is named after one of the worst gigs you've did interesting yeah. and there's a song by the way if it's tuesday this must be walla 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 is in washington what stands out to you about the walla walla gig
4: We had just done this crazy show with Poison Idea, and Battalion of Saints, and it was packed. And it was like people were, it was was so crazy that there was like fights all through the show. Yeah,
1: skinhead, Nazi skinheads. You had everything. Those are the worst
3: kind of skinheads.
4: I remember uh, Jerry from Poison Idea jumping off the stage and beating a guy up. (laughs) Remember that? And it was just like a crazy, energetic, packed punk show. And then the next show is in Walla Walla. We're playing some like school. Nobody knows who we were. And I kept... Getting all these kids asking me, "What part of Walla Walla are you guys from?"
3: (laughs) The ass end of Walla Walla. By the way, let me mansplain the skinhead thing for a minute. Because back in the day, they were aesthetic skinheads. They liked the look. (laughs) Yeah, they were. They shaved shaved their heads. (laughs) They wore boots and braces. But they didn't believe in the nationalist ideology, the racist ideology. And you would literally ask these kids, are you a good skinhead or a bad skinhead? You remember that question? Are you a good skinhead or a bad skinhead? We had some good skinhead friends. Yeah. And and they were just into the style. To me, it never struck me as a great look because you could easily be mistaken for a bad skinhead. But let's differentiate so we don't offend any. Good skinheads. <laughs> Just trying to differentiate. What are AOD fans generally like, by the way? How would you describe the typical AOD fan? Um, hmm, a, little bit, a
4: little bit weird. <laughs> a, little, a little bit weird. <laughs>
3: a little bit weird. Why? Drill down on on weird for a minute. Why weird?
4: Um maybe it's maybe it's because I'm thinking about the last show and you know, some of the people that you know I, I remember from being young and they're um they're very strange
3: now. <laughs> um, you were doing a lot of heckling from the drum set. What was the crack about cataracts? I wish I had cataracts so I couldn't see how you've aged. <laughs> that probably what something would like be. that. Yeah. Uh, Paul, who was the best heckler in the band? Would you say would it be Dave Jack. Or, or Jack? Jack. Uh,
1: Jack. Jack would probably be the one.
3: Jack yeah. to me was the funniest
4: member of AOD by far. Oh yeah, on stage,
3: Jack is pretty devastating. Yeah. It's pretty devastating. Um, what about uh, because you, I, I there was talk about doing some kind of support tour for the book? Is there gonna are we gonna see o- AOD on any stages at any point soon? Is it too early? <laughs> stages to... Stages of Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And um, is it too early to divulge?
4: Um, we have some plans. We'll see if they work out. There's one. There's definitely one thing that. If it happens, we're going to do it, and uh, it'll be bigger than the shows we're used to playing. So, And
3: you'll actually get paid this time, you think? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Actually. Um, oh, tell the Doug Holland story, by the way, because I have a similar one where you ended up playing at a mafioso joint oh, yeah. in New York. What was yeah. it called? Pizza Connection? Pizza Gogo. Pizza Agogo. Uh,
4: we played this place, and I think we were the first punk band to play Pizza Gogo, us and Kraut. And they were gonna have other bands. That was the game plan. They were gonna start booking this place. And we go to get paid, and they and a guy comes down, big guy, and he's like, I need one member of each band to follow me. So me and Doug go up the staircase. Doug Holland yes. of a of
3: a crowd, yeah.
4: And this guy knocks on the door and this door opens, and there's a room it's about like ten times the size of this room, and it's really smoky, and there's gigantic poker tables. Maybe a dozen of them, and there's all these goomba guys with the tracksuits and the chains <laughs> and the cigars, and they're all you know playing poker and smoking. And the guy is informed by that our escort up there that this is the band; they need to be paid. Guy pulls out this wad of hundreds out of his pocket, he peels a couple off for me, a couple off for Doug, and we say thank you. And we turn around and we're walking down the stairs, and Doug turns to me, and he's like holy shit, dude. It's like, that was like the the fucking mafia. And later on, after the computer era happened, I went back and I just was curious to see if anybody ever made that connection on the computer. And it turns out there's a whole story about the place was a front for the Genovese crime family. And it got shut down. So yeah, that was the Genovese crime family that we witnessed in there playing poker.
3: And, and the Nihilistics did a show at this place called Legs in Valley Stream that was a mafia front. I mean, later, you realize it. A lot of these and clubs were. A lot of them yeah. were. And we, we opened for the Stimulators, uh, you know, very influential early New York band with Harley Flanagan on drums. And we go to get paid. And on top of this pile of cash is a Colt forty-five pistol and I'm in there with Ron the singer and I'm looking at him like are we supposed to pull the cash out from underneath the gun and we, what are we supposed to it was almost like take the money if you can yeah and and Ron uh, who I found out later might have you know been in a family that was sort of mob tangential managed to get us paid okay. so somehow he knew the language to speak to get us paid But yeah Did it occur to you back then That a lot of these places Were being run by the mob That we were That was the first
4: time in? The second time was We played this place Called the Candy Bar In Jersey the candy Well that's bar, a tip off right the there The Candy Bar Later became The Bada Bing The actual club Where they filmed it uh, Where they did the Sopranos Yeah yeah um, And
3: Satin Dolls back, Right on, on Route 46 Right before six, that It
4: was yeah. called the Candy Bar then okay. it became Satin Dolls
3: right. and, and it showed up As the Bada Bing And right. the Sopranos
4: and uh, me and Bruce had gone on in there um, a few days before the show to put up some flyers. And we walk in, and the guy stops us right away. He's like, you can't come in here with those boots. You can scuff up the floor. And we're like, what? We, we, just, want to, we, were, you know, we just want to put up flyers. And the guy's, like, really getting angry with us. And some older guy that was sitting at the bar sees what's going on. And he comes over. He's like, what's going on? He's like, these guys going to want to come in with boots. Yeah, he's like, what, "What do you want?" We're like, we're, "We're just playing here. We just want to put up the flyers." Oh, you're in the band! And he takes us and he brings us in. He buys us drinks. <laughs> you're those though, nice boys in adrenaline oh, overdose. Come on in, guys. Come on in. Yeah, that place was super mobbed up.
3: <laughs> yeah, it didn't occur to me uh, until much later that in the early 1980s, we were going into some really dangerous parts of Manhattan oh and other God. places. We we were so unaware. We were so unaware.
4: We played, uh, I think it was the Sin Club um, in Alphabet City, probably like Avenue C or D. And we played with the False Prophets. It was
1: like 4th Street between C and D.
4: Yeah. We played with the False Prophets, right? Yeah. And like there was gunshots. Everybody had to run inside. Then we're hanging out. This guy is coming up the street on a motorcycle. And this guy just comes out of nowhere with a two by four, smacks him in his helmet. The guy goes flying off the bike. Bike falls on the floor. This guy just picks up the bike, takes off on it, and leaves yeah. the guy on the floor. Well, well how like, else are you going to steal
3: a motorbike? Yeah. That's how you do it.
4: Yeah, we, we've we seen some crazy, crazy shit, especially when we started going to A7 and had to be around, you know, that Tompkins Square Park Park area at night.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, the memories. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we recorded at the Bad Brain Studio, and I still have a contact high from that place. I still remember like, walking into the biggest cloud of pot smoke that I had ever seen in my life and recording our first EP in basically the time it took to play the songs. I think we paid for two hours of recording time. That was about it. But, yeah, we went into some places, and we never thought about our own physical safety. Is that because we're just stupid men? Is I, think, that why? I
4: think it's just youth.
3: I don't think you
4: have those fears that you would have as a an adult with developed thoughts. So yes. you don't—you're not quite yeah. scared. This you know? might be
3: dangerous. I you mean, don't have that thought yet. Had
4: either Paul or my mom knew where we were going at three in the morning. That would have stopped, probably. <laughs> would have put an end to it. You know, I mean, the, you know, my mom knew I was going to play in New York, but I don't think she had any idea what part of New York I was playing.
3: <laughs> uh, a lot of books are coming out now from guys our age, memoirs about this particular time, this particular period. Uh, what do you think most of them miss? And, and what, do you, what did you want to put particular in this book? What did you want to get that, uh, that others have have overlooked? about the scene.
4: Listen, everybody's got their own unique story, and everybody's story is going to be different. Now, would, you know this story, this book is going to be a lot different from like the Harley Flanagan book. We live different lives. I've
3: read the Harley Flanagan book. It's a lot different.
4: Yeah, a lot different, yeah. exactly. In a lot of the books that I've seen so far...
3: You couldn't have dropped the reference to Anthony Bourdain in yours, by the way? <laughs> because he was like a, the neighbor across the hall from Harley, right? So shows up yeah, yeah. a lot in that book. Dave Scott... Schwartzman. Why didn't you use the Schwartzman when you, were, when you were in the band? Was it too long to fit on the back of the record? Because I became Christy because I didn't want to use my last name. I was ashamed. A
4: couple reasons. I um, used to get beat up in school, and everybody would punch me and go, Schwartzman! <laughs> so I learned to really hate the name. Sounds like anti-Semitism.
3: I'm just going to go out on yeah, a limb. Yeah.
4: And um, th- when we first started playing, and people did find out my real name, my parents were listed in the yellow, in the phone book back in those days, and I would get you know weird AOD fans calling my my house, you know, and um, it was a good thing I in in retrospect I probably didn't
3: use. So where did the Scott come from? Why Scott? my middle name? Oh, okay. Yeah,
4: Dave Scott Schwartzman. So yep. I didn't really have to make anything up. I just had to cut the Schwartzman out. <laughs> well, that works for me.
3: Paul, is there anything I haven't asked yet that you think should be asked before we uh, turn the Microphone over to the audience for a little Q&A. Uh,
1: I'm satisfied. <laughs> Paul is
3: satisfied. Do you want to uh, help with that, Paul? You want to give the microphone to anybody who's got a question for uh, Dave? State your name because none of us know who you are, Jim.
0: Hi, I'm uh, Jim from Jersey, long time, first time.
4: <laughs>
0: so I, with Chris here, something I didn't ask you, Dave, when we talked for my story, but I, I'm curious hearing your perception of this compared to mine. So the New York hardcore scene was nihilistic, Reagan youth, uh, agnostic front, Cro-Mags. Crowd. Yeah, yeah, false prophets. So kind of a diverse bunch of different city kids. Mm -hmm. And then about 1986, and in my memory, virtually overnight, the CBGB hardcore matinees became bald kids from Connecticut, in hoodies, yeah, um, and I'm wondering what you, youth of today, bold that whole thing. That straight edge thing came in and just kind of took over, and I'm wondering, a, if that affected you guys, and in terms of audience and whatnot, and b, like what your memories of that transition are.
4: Didn't affect us really at all because around that time that. Those bands started coming up. We started going back to the punk rock stuff. We were about to put out "Cruising with Elvis," so we were changing, and um, we were changing because the hardcore scene wasn't what it started out to be. It was becoming a macho, you know, guys from you know that used to beat us up are now coming to shows and shaving their heads. It's or what's killed Kurt Cobain? Just let's <laughs> be honest about that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, that was the reason that we wanted to do everything to take the piss out of that, you know? There was too many fights at shows. A lot of our fan base stopped coming to shows because they just didn't want to deal with that crap anymore, you know? I mean, it was... it's not fun when you have to worry about like all these fights all the time.
3: I was quoted by either Wendy in Guillotine, a great fanzine, or it might have been Jeff O in Flesh and Bones as saying, "It's macho aggression, and I don't approve of it." Like about slam dancing, because we would get a mosh pit going in front of the stage, right. and then one of the lunkheads would jump on the stage and destroy all my guitar stuff, like yeah. unplug my pedals, the whole thing, and I it would it just made me it would make me livid. I didn't need it. Yeah. I did there were people
4: it. that really hated. It. I remember Jack Rabbit really hated the slam dancing. He, he thought of it as the death of the hardcore. But you know, you know this as as well as anybody. In the early days of the New York hardcore scene, every band was different. It, there wasn't a mold. I mean, the False Prophets didn't sound like the Nihilistics or Reagan Youth or yeah. You know, everybody had had their own sound. It wasn't until like those bands started putting out records influencing other bands and then he started getting watered down versions yeah you know and i think you know agnostic front probably was the band that really got the face of new york hardcore um and they're they're great guys and they're a great band but they had this really rowdy following back then, you know?
3: Isn't that, Jim, that's a problem, right? I mean, the fans of an artist. This is why I won't go see Bruce Springsteen. Never mind the ticket prices. I can't take the fans. I mean, so the fans will kill a musical act faster than anything else for you. So,
0: knows Every, Everyone knows the story of Kurt Cobain becoming successful and seeing all the guys he hated in high school. And the, the kids f- that and, beat him up, right? And that yeah. that beat him up in high school in the yeah. front row of his concert. Speaking yeah. of, of... uh uh, mosh pits, I do have one story. So there was a show, it's CBGB's, probably a hardcore matinee, um, and it was when uh, Keith was in the band. Okay. And I had my camera, which I normally did, and f- on this day, for some reason, I had color film, usually I shot black and white for the fanzine, but I had color film. And as we're going at this guy comes over to me, and he goes, hey, Jim, it's great you got your camera, we have this thing coming up, we really need photos for it. So I stood in the middle of that mosh pit uh. with my camera, risking life and limb to get photos of that show, some of which I still have. But uh, See how, how, see how, how different I'm, we
4: are from Danzig, who would have smacked the camera right out of your hand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, the only place I ever had problems was City Gardens. You know how you have the camera and you have the little flash thing? I had three of those broken off yeah. by kids jumping into me at City Gardens. And I didn't go to City Gardens. Gu- and CBGBs, I never had a problem. So,
3: Thank you, Jim. It, does anyone else want to uh, ask a question, by the way, before we wrap up? Because uh, Steve has been very nicely letting us stay here and chat. I see a hand up over there. Do you want to hand yeah. the microphone over?
0: So were there any stories you left out of the book to protect the innocent, or guilty, for that matter?
4: There, there were people I left out of the book that didn't really contribute to the band, but were around a lot um, for various personal reasons. Um, there wasn't, like, any story that... I left out on purpose. There was only stories that I thought about later on. Um, the one thing that the book didn't convey was what it was like to actually spend those hours, many hours, like sometimes we'd be driving for two days straight to a show, spending all those hours closed together in a van, and how we would... Um, amuse ourselves, and there was a lot of different things we did to (laughs) amuse ourselves. I mean, we would neck slap and wet willy each other. The driver, whoever was the driver would get that. Um, I
3: heard of wet willies. What the hell is a neck slap? Don't demonstrate it. (laughs) Boom!
4: Right the driver. All right. Uh, Let's see. We would have a thing called Highway Playhouse, where we would make improv plays up as we drove, and... um, we would come up with fake band names. <laughs> oh, nice! Uh, we broke down on the um, the Bay Bridge in uh, in in uh, San Francisco, and I remember throwing like a bunch of the Humongous Fungus Humongous records into the water, see if a shark would eat it. <laughs> we, there, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, wacky hijinks. Wacky what hijinks you call on it? the road, yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, there's a screenplay apparently you're working on. Did you go on strike, the WGA <laughs> stroke you struck yeah, yesterday? I'm really
4: glad I did not join the did union at yourself? this time yet. Yeah. But, uh,
3: yeah, who's going to play you in the film, and who's going to play Paul?
4: Um, they're going to have to use some um, prosthetics and get Brad Pitt to play me, obviously.
3: I thought you were going to go with a young unknown, like a young <laughs> unknown. Uh, what What is the film going to concentrate on? Is it going to be about the touring aspect? Basically...
4: Um, I'm going with the Goodfellas method. And the Goodfellas method is take 15 minutes to summarize everything that got you to the point where the movie starts.
3: Ah, Taking like all the
4: background of how I grew up, how I met these guys, and how the band started, and we got big enough to tour, and then boom. We're starting our eighty-five tour. So
3: I picture a montage of like little Dave shopping at two guys in the record department, that kind of thing. A, a lot funnier. Yeah. There's a lot, sure. lot of
4: yeah. It's really I'm really happy it you know when I got to a point with the book, there were certain days when I it would be very hard for me to write. I just it just wasn't working, and then there was other days where the floodgates were open, and I was like, oh my god, and I'd be up for hours. And I'm having a lot of that. And when I go back and read it like the next day i'm I'm really liking what i got it's i want i want this to be the movie that i want it to be you know
3: the movie that we need a uh, very proud accomplishment you should be very proud oh, of, of this by the way thank because it's much. not easy to actually put out a book and a book that uh we've all been waiting for it's available here for purchase we got a t-shirt too is that the only t-shirt by the way well we're gonna fight over it we're gonna fight over the t-shirt Thanks again to Steve and the staff Thank of you very uh, much. Word Bookstores, thanks Jersey City. For and uh, thanks to Paul Richard for showing up in a support capacity Yay. here. We appreciate it. And thanks to your publisher. Thanks to D Wolf Publishing thanks for, coming for out. putting yes. this book out. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Chris. And good luck with whatever comes next. Are you going to sign some books now? Sure, sure. sure. All right. He'll personalize them for you, too. Sure. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Let's play some AOD. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to say that uh it's really good that we made up and everything and the reconciliation is
1: This is Eartha Kate again, back to remind you to take your belongings with you and to get a receipt from the driver. Have a perfect day.
0: Well, goodbye. Give my love to Jersey.